Hallelujah. We can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Colton. Thank you, brother, for leading us in worship. Uh, and as Colton was leading, we were following along, and following the leader is built into just about every area of our life. That you've heard follow the leader since you were a four-year-old or a five-year-old in kindergarten. That I, had a, I have a son, Ezra, who just got out of junior kindergarten, and the only thing he would tell me about school every single day was who the line leader was. It was the thing he wanted to tell me. Who had the privilege of being first in line today and everyone else followed them. And this is built into almost every area of our life. Children, Lord willing, follow their parents. Students follow their teachers. Soldiers follow their commanding officers. Employees follow their bosses. Coaches, or, uh, athletes follow their coaches. Citizens follow public officials. Following the leader is built into every single area of our life. And this is the way God made it. And this is the way that life works. But di despite seeing this dynamic play out in almost every single area of our life. Is this how we walk into a relationship with Jesus all the time? Is this how we walk into church every day? Saying, I just want to follow you as the leader. Or do we show up as consumers at church on a Sunday just hoping to get a little bit of good luck for the next week? Or do we engage in our relationship with Jesus as a disciple, as more like a customer who's just sort of shopping around a little bit, seeing if there's something in this store that might fit me and I might want to wear. Do we really show up following the leader, wanting to follow the leader, Jesus Christ, in our life every day? In the same way that you work hard when your boss is around, do we serve hard when our Lord is around? Because he's around all the time. Are you an active participant? In your local church? Are you an active participant in a global gospel movement that has been going on since the foundation of the world and will continue until the Lord decides I will not tarry any longer and I will return? Or are we just here to get our blessing? Are we just here to do our good deed for the day? As we follow the leader, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you are a disciple of a leader. You are a disciple of a teacher. You are following the rabbi, Jesus Christ. You are a citizen of heaven following the king, Jesus Christ. You are a sheep following the good shepherd of our souls, Jesus Christ. You are participants in spiritual warfare. Whether you want it or like it or not, you are part of it. You are workers in a global gospel mission intended to follow the leader, to follow the leadership of our warrior, savior, king, Jesus Christ. So as we begin this new three-week sermon series, we're going to start with spiritual guidance, but this sermon series is called Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World. Habits, as we are going to examine spiritual rhythms, spiritual disciplines that are required of us as disciples of Jesus Christ. And I wanted to start with this one because if we don't understand that we are all here to follow the leader, and this may come as a newsflash to you, it ain't me. Amen? Come on, y'all. That's, that's a great opportunity to stand up and say amen and hallelujah that I am following Jesus and not you, Pastor Ryan. Hallelujah. He happened to put me here, but that's something you've got to take up with him, right? God guides his people for his kingdom purposes. That's what we're going to see today as we look at spiritual guidance. That God is the one guiding his people for his kingdom 
purposes. So as we look at this spiritual guidance as we see laid out in scripture, this truth is, is rooted in the very nature of who God is. This following the leader, this order, this authority, this identity that comes with the covenant and kingdom that we are in. That we need to know that we are following an eternal king who oversees his kingdom for his glory. God guides you. God guides me. God guides us as the body of Christ, the global church. God guides us as a local body, a spiritual family on mission. God guides his people for his kingdom purposes. So I think that's something that's relatively easy to say yes and amen to real early on in the sermon. But the question we have to ask and answer today is how? How does God actually guide me? How does God practically guide me? How many of you have ever prayed for God to lead your life, to, to guide your life? You all just sung, God, build my life. Do you feel like your life is being led and guided and under construction right now by God? Yes, some of us can say yes. Some of us can say, yeah, I think it is, but I don't really see how. I don't know exactly how he's doing this. But we're going to look at how God executes leadership in the lives of brothers and sisters in the church, in the lives of the church itself, and in the lives of his global gospel mission. Because that's what we're called into. So let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Everyone turn in your Bibles, Acts chapter 13. We're going to see Luke's record as the church in Antioch is blossoming. Uh, and, and we're going to see something amazing happen. Let's just set the stage a little bit for what's going on. Uh, uh, as we have made our way through, the church in Jerusalem is, is struggling a little bit. That Judea is being afflicted a little bit. If you were here with us through our overflow series, this is the same affliction, the same trial that they were going through that Paul was writing about in the letters to the Corinthian Christians in First and Second Corinthians. It's the same story that is budding and blossoming right now and he is leading us and telling us what the church in Antioch is about to become. So the church in Jerusalem was the home church, the mother church primarily made up of Jews who have seen Jesus Christ now as their Lord and Savior. But the church in Antioch was a bit more of a cosmopolitan city, a city of worldly uh, uh, heritages coming into play and it was all these different people in this big melting pot and this church is being born and leadership is needing to be selected. In Acts chapter 10 and 11, you hear about Saul becoming Paul. You hear about Peter being imprisoned. You see James being murdered by the hand of Herod. You see Herod give a, a beautiful oration but doesn't give glory to God, so he gets eaten by the worms. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite eulogies in all of Scripture, an enemy of God gets eaten by worms. I'm just like, amen. That's, God can do it like that. It says he sent an angel of the Lord at the end of his speech because he didn't give glory to God. So uh, glory to God. Amen. 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 Acts chapter 13 kicks off with uh, Paul and Barnabas is what it says, but we're just going to look at the first three verses today. Three short verses that have a whole lot for us to learn today. So I'm going to read our, our, our text for today. Acts chapter 13 verses 1 through 3. Is everyone there? Say amen if you're there. If you don't have a Bible in front of you and you're sitting beyond the communion table back there, you're not going to be able to read this screen. So I know. The jig is up, right? You need to read the word of God. Let's read together. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them 
off. So we are going to learn four ways today that God explicitly guides his people for his kingdom purposes. The first way that God guides we see right away is through a variety of gifts. Right away we see in chapter, in chapter 13 verse 1 you see these five names being laid out and you see Luke the recorder here in the, the book of Acts saying, that there were prophets and teachers. And then he highlights these five different people. Now, why does he highlight these five different people? I don't think he does it simply for the history books. It's not simply recording who these people were so that, you know, people can look back on the statistics of the early church and see who was on the roster. No, what, what, what usually surprises me from this is the massive variety that we see. That God leads his people through a variety of gifts, but he's also leading his people through a variety of people. Again, the city of Antioch, very much a cosmopolitan city like New York or Chicago, L.A., Detroit, Cairo, London today as we see people from all tribes, all tongues, all nations, uh, in many cases being forced to walk, work, and worship together. That's what was going on in the church of Antioch in the first century. So we're going to look at this roster a little bit more deeply and see kind of what's going on and who are the cast of characters, who are the variety of gifts. The first person we see is Barnabas. Now Barnabas had been in Antioch teaching for about a year at this point but we know where Barnabas is from because that's where he and Paul go afterwards he says that this is where he's from an island called Cyprus to the west of Lebanon in the, in the Mediterranean Sea and Barnabas is a Greek name and likely a Greek speaker. His native tongue was likely Greek, so he likely spoke Greek. And then we see Simeon, whose name is interchangeable with Simon throughout the scriptures. But Simeon, from his surname, we see that Simeon, who was from Niger, we see him also being from North Africa. Uh, Libya and Niger were right next to each other in the first century and probably very close. And I've seen many commentaries that say this Simeon of Niger could have even been Simon of Cyrene, who was called to help carry the cross of Jesus Christ. So we see this, this building going on, this variety going on. Simeon, a Latin name, so likely a Latin speaker in, uh, in Niger at the time. Latin was a very common language. So already you see two guys that could not be more different. And then it continues on with Lucius, another Latin name who is said to be from Cyrene, which is a city in Libya, northern Africa at this time. Likely a Latin speaker. Menaean, who we see, and this guy has a pretty interesting history, uh, was a close close friend, the language would say he was associated with the household, so likely grew up in the household, the oikos, the 70 plus people of Herod the Tetrarch. And Herod the Tetrarch, what's his claim to fame in the Bible, anyone? He, he killed John the Baptist, right? So you see somebody who killed John the Baptist being uh, somebody who was in the household of someone who killed John the Baptist being promoted into leadership at a church. This, this cast of characters is starting to look pretty strange, isn't it? And in Herod's household, he was likely very well trained. He had a world-class education. Menaean was certainly a private school kid, right? He was very educated in the ways of the world with a worldly education. And then we see Saul, who we know to be Paul, from Tarsus in Cilicia in northeastern, the northeastern Mediterranean Sea. Menaean, Herod, we know them for, to be from Judea. That is where John the Baptist was assassinated. So we see, uh, and Paul, we know his history, right? Very, very bright. Uh, Greek speaker, Hebrew speaker, very trained in the Jewish tradition, very trained as a Pharisee, a zealot for the Hebrew law. So we see these five people. Why are these five people being listed? Why does uh, Luke go to the trouble to say who these people are, where they were from, and what's going on? I think it is so that we can see that in this church of Antioch, from these various different homelands, these leaders have been brought together with geographical diversity, 
with cultural diversity, with language barriers, with economic differences, with historical religious differences, with every other standard difference that comes uh, when you would just look around a room like this. We all probably ate something different for breakfast. We came from different places. Many of us had different native tongues that we spoke in. That there is this wide array of people. Why would God bring these people together that seemingly don't have anything in common? Again, seemingly don't have anything in common. And there's another variety that we see. Luke right away says in the church in Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Now those giftings are separate in the New Testament. Now there are people that are gifted in prophecy and teaching that we see throughout the New Testament, but I do believe those giftings have been separated throughout the New Testament. Prophets primarily people that would exhort and encourage uh, and would tell of things that may come, you know, foretelling future events. Teachers very much so, people that would be focused on exposition and exegeting the scriptures themselves, teaching the scriptures themselves. So there's a lot of debate about why these people are even named. Why is this roster laid out? And I think that we can see the balance, the range, the diversity, the variety of the church in Antioch. And many people talk about the first church as the church in Jerusalem. And that's good and fine. It was historically. That's accurate. But almost every other New Testament church looked much more like the church in Antioch than it did the church in Jerusalem. And every other church that has happened in the ongoing of the New Testament, we're in the New Testament, amen? Okay, just want to make sure we're all clear where we're at here, uh, that it looks very much like the church in Antioch. God is guiding his people through a variety of gifts. And these people are the gifts to the church. Let's not miss that. God has put gifts in these leaders, these God-gifted men, but they are the gifts themselves to the body, to the fellowship, to the church. Have you ever thought of yourself as a gift to God's church? You are a gift to God's church. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit of the living God is inside of you and has gifted you for the work of the gospel. That God is a, has given you as a gift to the church that you're also a part of, to the church that you're also supposed to further, to the church that you're also supposed to serve. And what we don't see here is one single dominating leader. What we, don't, what we do see is a, a plurality of leaders and a plurality of different types of leaders. And, and there's a, a variety of backgrounds and cultures and personalities, political sensitivities, all of these things. They don't all have the same gifts. They haven't all come from the same place. They have come from many different places. And I just want to root for our church a little bit really quickly. Uh, that if you are a, a member of one of these uh, groups of people or a spouse, I want to invite you to stand up. If you are on staff or have ever been on staff... Or are a spouse of someone on staff, please stand up. Okay? If you are an elder or have ever been an elder, uh, and, or you're a spouse of someone, please stand up. If you are a deacon or a deaconess, please stay standing. If you're a deacon or deaconess ever, please stay standing. Everyone, please stay standing. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I know it is uncomfortable to be the illustration at church. Okay? Uh, or the spouse of someone who's a deacon or deaconess, please stand up. Okay? If you have led a ministry here at Woodside Bible Church in Pontiac, or are the spouse of someone who has led a ministry or served in a ministry here, please stand up. Worship team counts, guys. I see you looking at each other pretty strange. It's okay. You, you have served, right? All of us have served in many different ways. Let's look around. Look around. Does everyone look the same? Anybody want to say, thank God, there's some better looking people than me in this room? Hallelujah. Thank God, right? So you can sit down. 
So I want to cheer for our church a little bit. I want us to be reminded that, yes, there are always going to be issues, that our church is never going to be perfect. I want to put that out there right now. If anyone would like to leave now, you're welcome to leave. This will never be a perfect church. Stick around long enough. You'll find out real quick. But we are going to be a church where every single person knows they are a gift to the church. No one is here to feel good about themselves. No one is here to just fill a seat. None of you are ever here to just fill a seat. Yes, come, sit, worship, be ministered to, absolutely. But the, the root of who we are is not, person, not people that are just here to fill seats. We are here part of a global gospel mission. So are we encouraging and promoting this type of unity and diversity in our leadership? Are we encouraging and promoting and expecting that God would raise up leaders from our midst, from our very cosmopolitan city, from our very cosmopolitan region we are in, from different economic statuses, educational levels, different cultural backgrounds, different historical backgrounds, different language backgrounds, all coming together to do one thing, follow the leader, Jesus Christ. When we do that, that's when God gets the most glory. When a bunch of people that look the same, think the same, act the same, talk the same, have the same preferences, when they all get along and get together, people are like, yeah, you look like you should get along. But when a group like this can get along following the same leader, never Pastor Ryan, Jesus Christ himself, follow me as I follow Christ is what Paul said to his church. This is what we're called to do. It's the transformative power of the gospel. And are we praying for the full range of spiritual gifts to be made manifest? We don't just need teachers. We need prophets. We don't just need people that are gifted in serving. We need people that are gifted in giving. We don't just need gifted evangelists. We need people that are gifted in mercy. We don't just need people that are gifted in hospitality. We need people that are gifted in discernment and exhortation. And the full range of gifts in the scriptures. And not just highlighting or elevating the gifts that are out loud. Paul only exhorted in a negative way one church for gifts in the New Testament. The Corinthian church fell in love with a certain type of gifting. And we have a tendency to do that as well. We fall in love with the big uh, public gifts that people look real spiritual when they do. Paul said, no, 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 no. You are not getting the full counsel of the spiritual gifts. You are not getting the full counsel, the full range, the full experience, the full honor of the way God gifts his people when you just want one. When you just want one really gifted preacher that's going to give you excited messages, exciting messages every single Sunday. Which is not me, I know, that's okay. But we do have those people. But we have to have the full range. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. When everybody thinks like you in your church on everything... You're missing it. You need a new church. You need a place where the fullness of God can be made manifest. We ought to all agree on the gospel. If you don't agree on the gospel, you also need a new church. I'm sorry. right? Because that, that's not going to change. But it's the fullness of God. So I, I pray, church, that we pray as we see this variety of gifts being utilized in the church in Antioch. That we see this utilized at Woodside Pontiac. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation, all of the giftings that the Holy Spirit has given. God leads his people through a variety of gifts. And secondly, we see his, him leading his people through collective worship and fasting. Verse 2 starts by saying, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. As his people look to him in worship, God leads them into the future. This is what we are all called to do. To come together here, worship and fasting and praying. Because that's how God will reveal his kingdom purposes and lead us into the future. When we are actively engaged in worship. 
worship and fasting, God will speak to us. If we are apathetic, if we are indifferent, if you think, I just got to get to church so I can get my blessing, if we're passive towards God's guidance, if we're passive toward a global gospel mission that every single person in Christ is a part of, we are not going to get very far, church. We are not going to be the church that God has called us to. We are not going to live out the great cause that God has put on Woodside Bible Church in Pontiac. And yes, he has put this on every church, but it is slightly different for other churches as well. Every single church has the same mission statement. And you can find it right here at the end of Matthew, at the end of Mark. It's all right here. Our mission statement is very much the same. And then as we flesh it down into specific spiritual families on mission, we have to see how God is bringing together these gifts and this body to achieve a certain cause and a certain purpose in a certain region. That if we're content with the status quo, if we're content with us four and no more, right? If uh, babies crying in church are a sign of disorder to you instead of a sign of thank God there's going to be another generation in the church, then we, we may be missing it somewhere, friends. If we think that we're just here to, to come to Club Woodside and hang out and feel good for a little bit, we're missing what it's all about. We're called to engage in this collective worship and fasting for the sake of discerning God's voice. So when we do this, this is the work that we are called to. Every single person in here is called to the ministry of worshiping the Lord. Amen? If you didn't say amen to that, come on, I'm, let me help you understand with church. When the, when the pastor says every single person in here, that means you, are, you should say amen. All of us are called to worship the Lord. Amen? Amen. If not, I will invite you again. This church ain't perfect and the door is there. I don't want anyone to leave. I want us all to work together and look like this. I really, really do. I just know it's going to be not a whole lot of fun for you if you can't get down with these few things, okay? I had to get through it myself, trust me. There was a long, long process of wondering, like, God, is this really, are you, is this real life? Is this really what this church is supposed to look like? Is this really what we're supposed to do? And he said, yep. And I said, okay, I'll follow you because you're the leader. Through collective worship and fasting, we're called to do this. Are we participating this together? Are we participating as the beloved in this type of ministry together? Yes, we come and we sing together on Sundays. They were doing it in church, it says, as they were worshiping and fasting. This is, this is a live look into a church service, right? To a spiritual service in Acts chapter 13. But they had to be doing this together and they had to be listening. Church, we have to be listening to the leader are you aware of what's going on in your church? Are we aware, and I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty, are we aware that kids accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior at kids camp this week? Like, yes. Are we aware of the directional needs of our church? Are we aware that kids ministry runs on a thread every Sunday? Are we aware that the transportation ministry is drowning Every single Sunday. Are we aware of the needs of our church? Transportation is a unique ministry. There's very few ministries that I've ever served in in a local church where my activity in that ministry literally means more people come hear the gospel. It's an incredible ministry. 
Are we aware of what's going on at our church? Yes, this is my responsibility as the primary communicator to tell you these things, absolutely. But it is your responsibility as an active participant, as an active participant engaging in collective worship and fasting to know what is going on with your church, to know what is going on with your life group, with the, the, the decisions that people in your life group are processing. How many of you are in a life group? Again, this is not about feeling guilty. We are called to gather as a church. We are called to scatter into life groups. We are called, church, there's five people with their hands up. I'm not, again, it's not trying, I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. If you feel guilty, that's the Holy Spirit of the living God loving you is what that is. Seriously, that's love. If you didn't feel bad, then there's, you're, you're numb to things. We are called to this. This is the biblical model for church. If you're not praying with somebody as they're processing needs or difficulties or wants in their life, we're missing it. Your responsibility as an active participant in a Bible study, in life groups, whatever it is. But the thing, the three big targets aren't going to change. We're called to come together, gather and worship. We're called to scatter in life groups, and we're called to serve. Those are three big buckets that are never going to change here. So if we're missing those, we've we got to get on board with that. So as we're worshiping and fasting together, I think we understand what worshiping looks like. I think that's clear to us, praising God, singing songs, praying together, coming together to worship the Lord. Fasting, some of us may be a little less familiar with, which I will teach it in the simplest possible way right now. Fasting in its simplest form is removing something so you get more of something else. So typically it's with food. You remove food so you get more of Jesus. That's why we fast. We remove something, a negative action, so we receive a positive action of the Lord. And food's the easiest one because how many of you have ever been hungry? Every human being got hungry in here at one point. When you're hungry and you're fasting, you say, thank you for the reminder, Jesus, that I'm called to pray. Every hunger pain is a reminder of the pain that we ought to have as we are on mission with Jesus. And this stuff's not hard to find out, friends. For the right and wrong reasons. Information spreads quickly at our church. For the right and wrong reasons. Amen? Amen. Amen. You can find out what's going on at your local church real quick by asking someone. By talking to anyone. If you email me, I'll happily send you a much longer email than you sent me. That's usually how it works. I always have a lot of long answers for short questions. Yes. Thank you. This is what we're called to do. And then what happens? Wow, it's amazing what happens next, right? All these people, these five leaders, these God-gifted men who are the gifts to the church, together they're worshiping and fasting. And then what does verse 2b said? The Holy Spirit said. We all want this. This is what we live for. The Holy Spirit said. Point number three is spiritual discernment. God gifts, God guides and leads his people, his church, his kingdom through spiritual discernment. This is guidance from the kingdom of heaven. This is God himself speaking. This is the shepherd of our souls speaking. This is guidance spiritually discerned in community under biblical leadership. This is exactly what we're called to do. Guidance spiritually discerned in community under biblical leadership. This is who we are called to be. If we want to go to a church and be a member of a church and an active participant engaged in a church where you can confidently say, my church is being led by God. My life group is being guided by God. 
This is how we follow the leader. This is how we come together and do this. Now, we don't know exactly what the Holy Spirit said or how the Holy Spirit said it. We see the words right here. We're going to get to them in just a minute. I don't know if it was in Latin or Greek or English or Italian or a whisper into their hearts or they just all came together and had mutual unity when they had only diversity amongst them. I don't know exactly what it was. And the Bible author here, Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit of the living God, doesn't say it's important that we need to know. The most important thing we need to know is that they did these things, the Holy Spirit spoke, and they listened. That is what we're called to do as a church. Do these things, the Holy Spirit speaks, and we listen. This is exactly what we want to be true of us. And, and I think many of us have these these experiences in our life. I had a, a 24-minute conversation with Pastor Chris on Tuesday night. We had about 240 things to discuss in these 24 minutes. We got to about nine. Uh, we had a smaller conversation so we could have a larger conversation. And I, we hung up the phone and, and we just, I texted him afterwards and I was like, did you say this? Like, did I hear you right? And he was like, no, I didn't say that. Right? So uh, as I was thinking, as I was texting that out, I'm like, no, no, he didn't say that. But I, but I heard it. How did I hear it? Because we prayed together. Because we worshiped and gave praise to our God together in 24 minutes on a phone call. And what happened? The Holy Spirit of the living God spoke to me and gave me the guidance I needed. Now, the, now, Pastor Chris is a great and godly man. He's not the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you the same if he were right here. But the Holy Spirit uses things like this when we're worshiping together, when we're praying together, when we're committing to be in prayer and fasting for one another's families over decisions that are going on, over discernment that we need, it can look like a number of different ways in your family, regardless of the decision, but how many of you would love to know that you're hearing from the Holy Spirit? But you need to be listening. And I know many of us are too busy to listen. I know many of our jobs are too busy for us to listen to God. I know many of our families are too busy or messed up for us to listen to God. Thank you. That, yes, that I, I am being sarcastic here. <laughs> you need to be listening to God to know his voice. In all the situations in our own lives, in our life groups, in our church's life, we need to be able to say the Holy Spirit spoke. We need to discern his voice and then we need to make decisions. That is it. It's as simple as that. This is what following the leader looks like, right? And when we have this council of leader, when we have this plurality of leadership, I don't look out in here into the audience on a Sunday and ever see somebody that has less of a gifting or a less important gifting. I look out and I see, oh, thank God this puzzle piece showed up. Now we can start building a little bit more. Hallelujah. This is how God guides his church, through a variety of gifts, collective worship and fasting, spiritual discernment, and then finally, how we're called to live it out, point number four, is through missional community. That we need to listen to the voice of God after we've worshipped and fasted and prayed, after we have embraced everyone here as a gift and embraced all the gifts that God has put into us through a missional community. So the guidance offered here, let's read uh, verse number three. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So what does the Holy Spirit say? Set apart Barnabas and Saul. So that word set apart is aphorizo. It means to separate or to mark or to appoint. He schedules an appointment for them essentially and says these two, here's who you're going to send and what are they being sent to do? Continuing on what God told them to do in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You're going to the ends of the earth to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the ends of the earth and you're going to preach the gospel because that's what we're supposed to do. The Spirit is speaking, fulfilling the thing that God said needed to happen, fulfilling the mission 
mission of Jesus Christ in his church, through his church, through the gifts that he gives. Now, the Holy Spirit says, set apart these men. Now, I want to talk about um, something practical and something theological from this. So sometimes we wonder, uh, you know, have you ever seen somebody who uh, was differentiated by you could tell they were sent or you could tell they just went? Have you ever seen the difference there? Yeah, okay. So the Holy Spirit is the one who says set apart. The church is the one. The word here is not send by the church. Okay, so when we talk about sending churches, that does happen. And I'm not trying to knock any of that stuff. But the word is apoyuo, which means to set free, which means to release, which means to release them from detainment. The Holy Spirit said these ones, the church had to say, yes, God, send them. Because, and practically what I think is happening Paul had been there, Saul had been there uh, teaching and preaching with Barnabas for over a year. So they were practically faithful. The Holy Spirit saw them to be faithful. Paul had the Damascus Road experience, right, where God literally visits him. Jesus comes and says, hey, not anymore. Turn around. We're going this way. And then how long did it take before he got sent out? 14 years of faithfulness. 14 years of training. In the desert, in Arabia, teaching in Damascus, going to and fro, going to Jerusalem, now in the church at Antioch, having taught the Bible, having taught the scriptures and the way of Christ for over a year with Barnabas. So I think there's some practical faithfulness that we need to see here. Don't be too eager to leave the place that God has you in right now. He will send you. He will set you apart. The Holy Spirit will set you apart. If there is another task for you to do elsewhere, continue to worship, fast, pray, listen. And he'll talk to you. It's as simple as that. You can't hear God if you're not listening to him, though, right? A still, small voice, although sometimes we've all experienced that boot in the back from God. Amen? Amen. Right? This is where it's like, okay, here I am. I'm ready. The theological thing that we need to understand here is it's the church's responsibility to do these things together and then to release these people from detainment is literally what the word means. To set them free. So if the Holy Spirit has set someone apart for a gospel mission, a global mission, and your global mission might be in the seat you're in today. Your global mission might be exactly where you are. It might be to send you to Quebecois or to send you to Antarctica to minister to the scientists down there. There's scientists in Antarctica, right? I don't know. Amen. Or the polar bears. I mean, they can't receive the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but, you know. So as we look at that, We just have to be listening, and it's the church's responsibility, the leaders in the church's responsibility to hear what you have said, to see you faithful, and to discern the voice of the God, the the, the voice of the Holy Spirit of the living God with you, to say, we're going to lay our hands on you and set you apart and release you into whatever this is, whatever the Holy Spirit of the living God has led you into. You've seen this in parent-child dedication. You've seen this on mission trips. You've seen this when we stretch out our hand towards somebody. We are not the ones sending them. The Holy Spirit is the one doing the work. Now, I know that is, uh, it's kind of like half, half a, uh, six of one, half a dozen of the other in many of our minds. There is no impartation of the Holy Spirit from any of us putting our hands out to a believer. Only Jesus Christ imparts his Holy Spirit upon his death, his sending, and uh, the indwelling upon belief. So when the Holy Spirit is in there, that is who is leading them and guiding and That is the one who set them apart, appointed them, consecrated them, and said, you are going to go do this. I'm going to mark you separately. I'm going to separate you. And then the church's job is to release you. This is what a missional community is all about. If our primary goal is to get people in these seats, we missed it. 
if we are building a church for numbers, we missed it. I would much rather our goal be get people in these seats, have them worshiping, fasting, praying, in worship, in life groups, in community with everybody. And then together we say, I I think the Holy Spirit is leading you somewhere. I think the Spirit's guiding you somewhere. And you need to ask. You need to say, Holy Spirit, what are you calling me to do? If If there's something that you think you need to serve at your church, you need to ask your pastor. You need to ask the elders and the deacons, how can I serve? You need to say, are there short term mission trips coming up? You need to say, does a new life group need to be planted in my neighborhood where I live. We need to do these things together. And then it's the church's job to say, go do it, bro. Go do it, sis. Yes, I am so thrilled. I will resource you however I possibly can. And you know that's how our church functions, right? Very few people have ever come and said, I think God told me that this is the ministry I'm supposed to do. And we've said, no, that doesn't happen. Only when the ministry isn't biblical. That's when we say no, because we're supposed to do that together. It's through this kind of missional community, when we are others-focused, when our heart for the lost lines up with God's heart for the lost, when our passion for the nations lines up with God's passion for the nations. It's this kind of missional community where God's voice will guide, where God will speak, where we can say, I go to a church that I know is being led by God. When we're doing these things together, instead of being self-seeking or ego-driven or I just got to pop into Club Woodside so I can get some good luck this week. No, we can never do that because what will ultimately happen to a, a church like that is Jesus Jesus will extinguish the lampstand. And I do not want that to happen here. And I will not let that happen here. And you will not let that happen here. It's not up to me. And that's why I know that I can say I won't let it happen here. Because we have good and godly people. We have gifts. I'm looking like like it's the, the bottom of a Christmas tree right now. Right? All these gifts. All these gifted leaders. All the gifts that God has put into you. I want to see those unleashed. I want to see the cities change. I want to see your neighborhood change. I want to see our kids change. And when we do that, when we have experiences like we just did this week with Kids Camp, with 80 kids and over 50 people serving... Eternity changes. We don't have to have kids camp every week for that to be the experience at our church. There are people here every single day. Every single day. If you're ever wondering what to do in the middle of the day, come to your church and say, how can I serve? Just walk up here and pick up a piece of trash on the front lawn of your church and watch what happens. Ashara did that the other day, and she, and she got blessed with a $50 bill because she stopped by her church on the way home, picked up trash, and there was a $50 bill next to it. I can't guarantee that there's going to be money growing out of the grass at all times, right? I can't. But that's what happens when you listen. When you listen to God and he leads you. So are you listening? As Colton comes back out and we sing this last song together. Church, we got to follow the leader. We do it in every other area of our life. So many of us work scared of our bosses because we might lose our job. We follow their leadership. Why do we not follow Christ's leadership in everything? He's the real leader. Let's follow the leader, follow the king, follow the shepherd, follow the father, follow the savior. He's leading us and guiding us and maturing his church, bringing his church into maturity for the sake of glorifying him and making disciples of all nations. This is our great purpose. This is our high calling. It's not to build the biggest church. It is to build the church that is going to work for the sake of the gospel and to worship and pray and fast. We are all here for something bigger than ourselves. You are not here for the seat that you are in. We are here for a bigger mission that God is calling us into, inviting us into for the sake of his glory, for the salvation of the entire world. 
world. So we have to come together as a church, utilizing all the various gifts we have, seeking him through prayer and fasting and worship, discerning the voice of the Spirit, and becoming the missional community we were always made to be. Every single one of us are called into this. If you are in Christ, you are called into this. And if you're sick of hearing a message like this, this is what this is. It's the entire New Testament. It's the entire book of Acts. They come together. They worship. They fast. They pray. God speaks. They go. That's all we're called to do. This is who we're called to be. So as we thank God for the leadership that he has brought here, which is all of us, and yes, there is order, and yes, there is authority, and yes, there is spiritual discernment, and yes, I do believe that God does give me supernatural insight for your lives. He's the one who's called me here to pray watch over your soul. And I believe in that with everything in me. I'm not here for a paycheck. I'm not here because I love talking. We're here together. The primary meaning of preaching is one word, service. I'm here to serve. We're all here to serve with the gifts God has given us. So if we can get up and step out and listen to the voice of God, Sometimes we'll hear it with our ears. Sometimes it'll be confirmed by our brother or sister. Sometimes it'll just be, I know that I know that I know that I know in my heart this is what I'm supposed to go do. Let's do that together. And let's watch the world change. Let's watch our community change. Let's watch your, your marriages change. Let's watch your household change. Let's watch your neighborhood change. When we really follow the leader, and the leader is not a business guru, the leader is not a politician, the leader is not a news pundit, the leader is not your favorite athlete, following the leader, Christ Jesus. That is how we see these things happening in our church and in our life that we all want. I'm going to close us in a word of prayer and uh, we're going to worship again. We're going to sing another song called Jesus at the Center because he's the leader that I want to follow at the center of my life and I know you do too. Stand to your feet with me, would you? Father in heaven, I say thank you today. Thank you so much for the way that you've built your church, for the way that you have gone before us, Holy Spirit of the living God, for the way that you have spoke all along, and I pray that we would listen today. Whatever it is, whether it's financial generosity, whether it's reconciliation with a long-lost family member, whether it's something as simple as letting someone in on the freeway who tried to cut you off, may we just listen today be obedient to what you're leading us into, to what you're guiding us into. All we want to do is follow the leader, Jesus. So may we get in line following you wherever you take us, because it'll be better than anywhere I want to go. It'll be better than anything we can come up with on our own. We need you. We trust your wisdom. We trust your leadership. We trust your guidance, because you're guiding your people for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.